Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm your host, Dina Marie Hale, along with Archbishop Alexander Sample. And in today's program, we celebrate the Archdiocese's 175th anniversary, but we also discuss Pope Francis's recent launch of the 2023 Synod on Synodality and what that means for us here in the Archdiocese of Portland and Oregon. And Archbishop, before we get into our topic, will you please open us in prayer? Yes, indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful. Enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who does instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gifts of that same Spirit, we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Holy Mary, our hope, seat of wisdom. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, Archbishop, you did mention that it is our 175th anniversary as an archdiocese, and I just wanted to open with a congratulations and a celebration. <laughs> I think it's great history for the Archdiocese of Portland. I was looking at the first, I think it's the first five archbishops were under the Archdiocese of Oregon City, and then it was back in 1928 where they had the, the name change from the Archdiocese of Oregon City to the Archdiocese of Portland and Oregon. So quite a bit of history in 175 years. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, there, there is such a I, I think we we sometimes uh, pass over our history too quickly. I mean, there is a really rich history of the Catholic Church here in the Archdiocese of Portland that, you know, I think sometimes we we forget about just how much God has accomplished in this part of, of his creation over these last 175 years. And, and, you know, we were initially, I don't know if people realize this, but we were initially actually established as the Diocese of Oregon City. So Oregon City was actually the first seat, if you will, that's what we call the, the home base <laughs> of a mm -hmm. diocese. The, 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 the seat of the diocese was in Oregon City. Uh, the, the, the diocese of Oregon City, four years, only four years after its founding. So we were founded in 1846. And only four years later, the diocese of Oregon City was elevated to an archdiocese. And that's very significant because we, the Archdiocese of Portland, we are the second oldest archdiocese in the United States. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore was the first to be declared and made into an archdiocese, um, which has significance uh, in, in terms of the life of the church that maybe we need we needn't go into. But it's very significant that you know we we look to Baltimore. We sometimes call it as the primatial sea. Uh, the original 
archdiocese of the country and, and kind of the mother uh, mm-hmm. church, if you will, of the whole, uh, of the whole United States. But uh, we were the second, you know, we think of the biggies. Okay. We think of archdiocese of Chicago. We think of the archdiocese of New York. We think of the archdiocese of Philadelphia or Los Angeles. We preceded all of those in, in being named an archdiocese. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool in itself. I, I often remind, uh, other archbishops uh, that we were we were the second, and then uh, the name of the archdiocese in 1928 was changed uh, to the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon uh, from the Archdiocese of Oregon City. By then, uh, really the population hub, the commercial hub, if you will, the the life hub uh, at the time had shifted really to Portland itself. And so uh, the the archbishop relocated uh, to the city, uh, well, long before 1928, actually, but it formally got moved. Uh, the name got changed, I should say, in 1928. So, but you know, a lot has happened in in 175 years. We've had we've had quite a ride, shall we say? Absolutely. And I think something that you mentioned that caught my attention is this isn't a time when you celebrate an anniversary like this to rest on your laurels, but it's an invitation for continuing to move forward and to take that great history, but to continue to launch. And it sounds like with all that you've been talking about in the last few months with the Surrender Novena, with evangelization, we're, we're utilizing those gifts that the missionaries who went before us to continue to bring and spread the message of the gospel. And I can't think of a better place than in the heart of Oregon to do that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, all the, every time when I go to a parish uh, that is celebrating a significant anniversary, sometimes it's 100 years, sometimes it's 75, 50, even 25. But I always remind the people in my pastoral message to them at the time in the homily is, yes, oh, let's celebrate our past. We definitely need to do that. And in celebrating our past, I always emphasize we we celebrate by giving honor and expressing our gratitude to those that have gone before us. Uh, We sit here today as the Archdiocese of Portland and Oregon with all the parishes and the institutions that we have, the schools, all of the church's presence in Western Oregon, it didn't get here without a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and tremendous sacrifices of those that have gone before us. Human sacrifices of time and and energy and effort and talent. Also, the incredible financial resources that have had to go into uh, building up this local church. So I like to say we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, and we owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude. So Yes, we should celebrate the past, give gratitude, first of all, to Almighty God for his grace and work among us over these 175 years, and we give thanks and and express our gratitude, and we honor those who've gone before us, but we can't just simply make it a celebration of the past. We have to use occasions such as this to relaunch us, if you will, for the future, uh, the, the Archdiocese of Portland is far from, from over. <laughs> you know, our lifespan is far from over. Uh, I fully expect that this Archdiocese will be here until Jesus comes again in glory, you know, whenever that might be. Uh, so we have a, a bright future ahead of us. 
And so as we celebrate the past, we use that as a as sort of a springboard to the future. And we now have to recommit ourselves in our time uh, for the future of this local church, this local archdiocese, which encompasses all of, of Western Oregon. And I think it would be a mistake not to see the uh, opportunity that really is before us in this time to, to set out again. You know, I, I like that. I love that line that Pope St. John Paul II uh, used in his letter at the beginning of this new millennium, Novo Millennio Iniunte. He, that phrase that has become kind of one of his uh, uh, famous phrases, his catchphrases, Duke in altum, put out into the deep. Yeah. This is what he said to the church at the beginning of the new millennium, put out into the deep water for a catch. These are the words he spoke uh, to St. Peter. Uh, if you remember the story of, of St. Peter uh, having been fishing all night, the Lord was teaching from the shore. He got into Peter's boat and Jesus said, Duke and Altum, put out into the deep for a catch. And uh, of course we had the miraculous catch of fish. You know, I often remind people that, you know, the net was filled in that miraculous catch, which really uh, was a major conversion point for St. Peter, where he finally, he fell at the feet of Jesus and said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You will be a fisher of men. And this, but that miraculous catch of fish that filled the nets to overflowing, I often remind folks, Peter didn't make that happen. Peter did not fill that net. Jesus did. But Peter had to duke an altum. Peter had to put out into the deep for a catch. He had to lower the nets. And I think that's what Jesus is asking of us in our time. He's going he's gonna to do his work. This is Christ's work. This is his church. Uh, we are completely, utterly dependent on our Lord, and we have to be surrendered, as I've been talking about, to him and to his grace and in the, in the way that he's moving uh, among us. He's going to do the work of, of bringing fruitfulness uh, to our efforts, but he's asking us, and this is what Pope St. John Paul II was reminding us, he's asking us in our time now to put out into the deep waters. I would say the waters of this new millennium. So that's our task. We have to do our part. We have to be active evangelizers, uh, spreaders of the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to be spreading our faith and proclaiming our faith and celebrating our faith and inviting others. Uh, we need to be re-energized in our own lives of faith and our spiritual lives. We need a new fire lit within us to carry on this great work. But it will be Christ who brings out about the fruitfulness of what we do. So uh, I just think at, at this anniversary, Mark, it's, it's time for us to get serious and not just talk about evangelization, but get very serious about doing the work of evangelization. Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned it so great during the recent share on Mater Dei Radio was putting legs on evangelization and really living it out actively in our lives and being very intentional. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this 
particular synod on synodality has been launched from Pope Francis. It's quite interesting timing, but let's pray it is the hope of the work of the Holy Spirit. But recently, Pope Francis has launched this. It's called a global consultation process uh, leading to a large synod in 2023. Can you give us a little overview of what this is and what the what the Holy Father is really intending for this synod on synodality? <laughs> yeah, it sounds... Uh, <laughs> most people don't understand what a synod is, uh, and, and a synod is a gathering. Uh, actually, the word synod uh, means walking together. Uh, that's, that's what the, the, the word means. But typically, a synod is a gathering of some kind uh, where the church comes together to reflect on certain pastoral issues that are, are facing uh, the life of the church in any particular time. And so a synod is a gathering. Now, typically, the Holy See, ever since, really since the Second Vatican Council, which really reinstituted, you might say, the institution of the synod in the church, and th there have been regular synods ever, ever since the Second Vatican Council on various topics affecting the, the life of the church. And then there are extraordinary synods as well that are called from time to time to address a particular need in the church. But in most of these synods, uh, the whole church uh, is usually not directly involved. Uh, there'll be a smaller segment of the church uh, that actually participates in the work of a synod, which ultimately happens in Rome uh, at the universal level. So I can think over my time as a bishop when there have been synods, sometimes our participation from the United States has been little more than electing from among the bishops our representatives to the Synod in Rome, with really no process uh, in the local church. Now, with the Synod, uh, uh, more recently the Synods, though, the Holy Father has been inviting more participation of the, or the, of the whole church in, in, as input into the, the synodal process. Uh, and, and this Synod it sounds kind of strange. It's a synod on synodality. In other words, it's a synod about uh, what does this idea of synodality or, or, or using a, a synodal process to help us discern for the, for the life of the church. So really he's asking us to reflect on, on how can we be a more synodal church. And his, his, his official title of, of the synod is Toward a Synodal Church or some say syn synodal, I, I don't know, I, I think it's synodal church. And then the subtext or the subtitle uh, uh, of that is communion, participation, mission. And what the Holy Father wants us to do is uh, to really walk together. This is the idea is we walk together in this discernment process. Uh, the Holy Father said in the preparatory document uh, for the synod, that enlightened by the word of God and united in prayer, we will be able to discern the processes to seek God's will and pursue the pathways to which God calls us towards deeper communion, fuller participation, and greater openness to fulfilling our mission in the world, unquote. This is the heart of what this synod is about. And the reason I say most people don't know what a synod is, is because they, as soon as they hear oh, okay, this is a meeting, and, you know, ultimately, 
in Rome, there will be a large gathering, a universal uh, worldwide gathering of bishops and others uh, to participate in the, in the final moments, if you will, of this, of this process. So we, okay, we're going to be gathering, we're going to be discussing. People get this idea in their heads, especially we Americans, get this idea in our heads that this is some sort of a parliamentary process. Ah, we're getting together so that we can decide, uh, you know, policies and, and maybe even teachings of the church. In other words, that this, this is a voting uh, uh, enterprise. And especially when people are hearing that there's to be a wide consultation starting in the local churches and, and listening to the local church and all of the people in the local church who want to participate, they begin to think that, oh, here's my chance to, to put my two cents in and here's my chance to change uh, maybe even doctrines and moral teachings of the church or disciplines of the church. That's not what this is about. And I want people to really get that very clear in their head. I've heard Pope Francis himself personally, when we met with him in 2020 during our Ad Limina visit to Rome, the bishops of this region, we talked about this synodality and actually he was making reference to the German synod, which has gone off the rails, quite honestly, and it is a whole different reality. It's not what a synod is. And the Holy Father has, has, has made that very clear, actually, that this isn't about this isn't about changing church teachings. This isn't a synod about, okay, maybe these teachings need to be softened or changed, or maybe some of the moral teachings of the church we need to, we need to re-examine and, and think about and, and maybe change, or maybe even some of the fundamental issues of, of discipline in the church need to change. You know, the German bishops, uh, they they're, they're even got to a point where they're questioning the place of the priesthood in the church today. I mean, that's, that's just way far afield from what this should be about. What this synod is about is asking ourselves as a church the question, how can we best witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world today, a world which is very different than it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago, or I'd say even 10 years ago. So for our time, how can we come together in communion as a church, oneness, unity? How can we encourage greater participation in the life of the church on the part of all, but especially the laity? And how can we become those missionary disciples that Pope Francis keeps emphasizing? How do we become uh, on how do we go on apostolic mission in our time? Because this is a unique time in the life and the history of the church, and we need to be ready uh, to engage the world again with the gospel anew. But we're going to do this by coming together, by praying, by, uh, by listening to each other, and by discerning. We need to encounter Christ again as we encounter one another. We need to pray and, and adore our Lord and seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's why I began this program with the prayer to the Holy Spirit. And how do we listen to each other? And then how do we discern how God is asking us to, to move the gospel message forward in our time? That I think is so powerful. And you mentioned how we are to participate and Pope Francis is emphasizing that. And you, you really emphasize that encounter, that listening and discerning. And you talked in your homily, I know Archbishop about this sense of the new evangelization and maybe some of the different ways in which this is unpacked with, with the zeal or fervor or this particular way in which we 
approach the quote new evangelization? Maybe give us a better sense of that. Yes, you know, I, I think a lot of times people uh, get in their head that um, you know it's just a matter of coming up with a new program, <laughs> you know, a new program that will appear appeal to the people of the world today. Well, Pope Saint John Paul II, who really was the great announcer of the new evangelization, said that it's not a matter of a new program. The program, he said, already exists. It's the living, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Christ and the living tradition of the church, uh, capital T. In other words, the teachings uh, of Christ's church. The program's already there. So what is new about this evangelization? If it's, if it's, if it's the same old, same old, as some would say, what's new about it? Well, Pope St. John Paul II believed that the gospel needed to be reproposed to the world. He wasn't talking in the new evangelization about going off to the far reaches of the earth that have not yet heard the gospel. He really was directing the new evangelization to the church uh, that already is, <laughs> that we need to have the gospel reproposed to us in our time in a way that really reaches and touches the hearts of, of people. So he said it's new, uh, not in its essential content, because that is defined, that is set, if you will, but rather new, first of all, he said, in its ardor, its zeal, its fervor. We, the church, and I'll just say this quite bluntly, and especially in the West, in the, in the, uh, in the old world, if you will, of Europe, and even here to some degree in the United States, although I, I say with pride that the church in the United States is far more uh, alive than, than in uh, the, the, the motherlands, if you will, of, of mm -hmm. Europe, uh, where the immigrants came to this country. But we've grown lukewarm. We've, we've gone lukewarm or maybe even cold to the gospel. And we need to have a fire reignited. We need a new zeal. We need a new fervor. Do we really believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that this gospel, this good news has the power to change lives, to, to make my life better, to, to open me to horizons that I never would have dreamt of, that it can really transform my life and ultimately lead me into eternal happiness? Do I really believe that? And if we do, well, for heaven's sake, then let's get about getting this message out there. People need to hear this message. People are walking the streets of our cities and towns every day who have no idea why they're walking around, why they exist, what's the purpose and meaning of their life. They're lost. They're, they're hungering for something. They, they're thinking to themselves, there's got to be something more. Well, we have the more that they're looking for. So we need to get fired up about this. We need to be on fire as the early church was. Listen, after the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles at Pentecost, they didn't just, you know, yawn and, and slowly go out there and, and go about their business. They went out in on fire and we need to be on fire. So it needs to be new in its ardor, new it's an expression. In other words, we need to find a way to communicate the timeless truths of our faith, the timeless truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the, the timeless, unchangeable teachings of our church. We need to find a way to express these teachings in a way that the people of our era can hear it. Because many people, um, you know, it doesn't matter of just pulling out the catechism of the Catholic Church and reading it to them. 
they, their hearts need to be touched. They need to be, they need to understand how this makes a difference in their life you know, and the importance in the, of the, of the gospel. So we have to find a way to express it in a new way. Not that we change what we believe and teach, but we express it in a way that can touch the hearts and the minds of people of today in these circumstances in which we live. And third, finally, it's new in its method. You know, uh, there are many new methods and, and ways that we can spread and share the gospel of Jesus Christ in our Catholic faith in the world today. Uh, we're using one right now, radio. Radio is not so new, uh, but 200 years ago, they wouldn't have been using radio to spread the good news. Uh, and here we are this, using this medium, this new means to communicate the gospel. We have all sorts of new technologies and various ways that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ, new methods, not just of technology and communication, but uh, of how we gather as a church, how we live our life as a church, how we invite people in, how we make them feel a part of us and in communion with us. There's also what worked in the past doesn't work anymore uh, so easily. You know, we always, we always need to think, okay, I'm Catholic. I'm going to raise and baptize my kids Catholic, and they'll always be Catholic. And guess what? Then they're going to have kids, my grandkids, and those grandkids are going to be baptized, and they're going to always be Catholics, and so on and so on. Well, we know that is not the world we live in today. Uh, people, many parents and grandparents are distraught over the fact that their children and grandchildren no longer live a life of faith in the church. So we can't just rely on the old ways of passing on the faith. We need new means. So that's, that's what we're going to be about, and we're going to use the synodal process to help us explore ways we can do that together. It's going to be a really powerful next two years. And I know we'll be able to use the voice of the shepherd and this program and other ways of media to, to let people know how they can locally participate. Because what I want to emphasize is, folks, you're going to be able to, in your families, in your parish communities, in our vicariates, be part of this process and share our faith in so many different ways. I'll look forward to Archbishop talking with you more about this as we unpack uh, and move into a more local process, because I know that's very exciting and part of your plan as well. And so as we come to close for this celebration, uh, would you please help us close with your blessing? Yes. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families, your loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining us on this edition of The Voice of the Shepherd. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you.